Hey, what's happening, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Pinch Point. I apologize for not being here last week. Last week was a bit of a hell week for me at my real job, which many people think, oh, you have a real job? You have responsibilities and things you have to do all day other than just like make YouTube videos and podcasts? And the unfortunate answer is that yes, I do. And last week was absolute hell and I just didn't have time to get to it. But don't worry, everybody, we're going to make it up to you this week because we have some great, I, I guess I say great. I mean, they're, they're not really great. Some of them I'm going to enjoy talking about, but other ones it's like, this is terrible. Like some of this stuff is terrible. We're going to talk about anyways, because it's what the people want to know. It's what the people want to talk about. So we're going to start things off. Um, there's kind of a, a trend. We'll see if you guys can pick up on this week's trend. And this is by no fault of our own. But our first story uh, comes out of Idaho again, which I mean, Idaho, I don't think it's a very big state. I don't think there's a lot of people there. I feel like we talk about Idaho a lot. This is not the first time we've talked about Idaho, but story goes, fish and game officer shoots a dog for chasing and killing a deer in Pocatello. I don't even know where that is. In the early evening of April 10th, an Idaho fish and game conservation officer shot and killed a dog for chasing and killing a deer in South Pocatello, if I'm saying that correct. Officer was responding to an unrelated wildlife call in a neighborhood uh, when he was approached by several members of the public who had just watched two dogs chase and kill a mule deer fawn. Some indicated that they watched the dogs leave the dead fawn so it could chase other deer. Uh, eventually, the officer was able to track down one of the two dogs. He did shoot and kill the dog. Um, and then he took the dead dog to its owner, which I thought was interesting. I don't know how they knew who owned the dog, if it had a collar or what, but the owner of the second dog involved in chasing the deer. So they must have caught the second dog uh, or found the owner, and they were issued a citation for an infraction, which carries a $136 fine. $136 is a very random amount of money to find somebody. It doesn't seem like a whole lot of money to me. Like no, like 136 bucks for letting your dog run around and kill wild animals. I don't know. Seems like they, there should just be a, a steeper fine. But I guess the thing that interests me most, and maybe this is just because of where I live and have grown up, but we're in the suburbs of Chicago, unfortunately, in the Northwest suburbs of Chicago. Like there aren't just dogs running all over the place, generally speaking. Like when you see a dog, it's in somebody's yard that's fenced or they're out walking it on a leash or walking it at a dog park or whatever. There's not just like wild or I guess these aren't wild dogs. They're, they're, well, if they're not wild, what would we call them? Loose. Tame. Yeah, but they're tame. They're somebody's pets, right? I just hear a lot of stories of like, dogs running around chasing deer like you hear it from guys all the time like i was out hunting and these dogs came running through the woods like like who are the people who own these dogs who just what do they do just open the door and be like hey go freaking run around and just just do whatever the hell and come home whenever you feel like it i mean is that what they do no respect for other people or wildlife or property boundaries or anything they're just like ah screw it then just just go go run young lassie and come home whenever you feel like it. I, I, it's just a, it's a very foreign thing to me because I don't have any real experience with it. What I did find was interesting though, is that the game and fish officer was able to shoot and kill the dog. I don't know what the uh, legality would be of like a, a person doing that. Cause you hear about hunters sometimes out hunting and you, they get dogs that maybe 
run through wherever they're hunting at. They shoot and kill the dog, and then they get in trouble for doing so. So I don't know if from state to state it differs on the laws of like when you're allowed to shoot a dog for chasing and killing a deer. I don't know. But that's what happened. The dog got killed, and rightfully so. Leave the damn deer alone. So our next story comes out of North Carolina. Once again, we're talking dogs. Again, I see if you guys can pick up on the trend here. Um, so the local news headline reads, we've been publicly threatened. Tensions are rising between North Carolina landowners and deer hunters with dogs. Subheadline reads, the use of dogs to hunt deer dates back centuries, but urban sprawl and shrinking hunting lands increase pressure on the tradition. The issue, conflict over landowner rights. So essentially, you know, this is just a news story where they're profiling these issues that people are having. So North Carolina is one of, I believe, nine states where hunting with dogs is still legal. Uh, I don't have the full list, but uh, North Carolina, Virginia, and South Carolina still allow deer dog hunting. And I believe that only part of North Carolina allows it. The issue with hunting deer with dogs that these people are having, you know, obviously there's going to be people that are just against it in general. And you can feel one way or another. Uh, I'm kind of ambivalent, if that's the right word. I really don't care one way or another. It's not for me. But if somebody wants to go do it and it's legal in their state, by all means, have at it. Where people are getting pissed off, and understandably so, is these a-holes with these dogs are not controlling where they go. So they're letting them run loose. They're running all over other people's properties, and they're not stopping them from doing so. And apparently in North Carolina, uh, a you can't get in trouble for that, which I find interesting. Uh, so I read that a person can get in trouble for trespassing, but a dog cannot. Now, obviously, a dog doesn't know property boundaries, but it would be up to the owner of said dog to know where the boundaries are at and try to keep your dogs off of those properties. I remember a long time ago when I was a kid uh, hunting in northern Wisconsin with my dad, it was bear hunting season and same issues would happen. Dogs would get on a trail of a bear and the people that own the dogs would just let it go. And it would go all over people's private properties. They'd be chasing after them. And it was like, nobody had any respect for property boundaries. And as you guys can imagine, if you are hunting, let's say you're deer hunting, you don't hunt with dogs. You know, there was a story in here, a guy owned like a thousand acres. You know, he's out there on his land trying to go deer hunting bunch of dogs come running deer through his property and there's almost like nothing he can do about it because apparently, you know, they just can't get the guys in trouble. So I understand why people are pissed off. There should be legislation that you have to control your dog. It shouldn't be allowed to go on somebody else's property. I mean, it's complete bullshit. Um, so they went and they tried to uh, interview like the pro dog hunters, I guess, um, and they were unable to get anybody to go on record, which I found was very interesting. Um, none of the guys from these hunt clubs and different places they went to were willing to go on camera or go on record giving their name um, as explaining any of this stuff. It says WRAL Investigates which is the name of the program. They tried for weeks to get the perspective of deer dog hunters. We reached out to clubs, associations, their social media, and even their lobbyists. Everyone declined to go on camera and only pointed us to their code of ethics, which sets guidelines to respect property rights, which we all know is bullshit. 
and that there is a state constitutional amendment that preserves their hunting heritage. Like anytime you have to go to like being like, there's a damn amendment in the state that preserves my right to go hunt with dogs if I want to. Cause that's how I picture these guys talking. Like you've lost the argument. Like you have to have a better argument than that. Otherwise you're just, you're just an idiot. So for those of you out there who do dog hunt, I have nothing against you, but just keep your damn dogs on the private property where you have permission to be. I don't know why that has to be such a controversial topic. Why does this even have to be a thing that people are are talking about at all? Um, there was another one in here where they, they mentioned um, a couple potential solutions requiring larger tracts of land for deer hunting with dogs, which I don't think really solves anything to be completely honest with you. I think it's like a, a poor attempt to be like, yeah, if we have more land, then we could keep the di- the dogs on them. But we all know if you start your hunt on the edge of the property and it carries you into the neighbor's property, it doesn't matter how, how big your place is. Uh, mandatory GPS tracking collars. Well, duh. I mean, why wouldn't we have that? I mean, that seems pretty straightforward to me. Uh, or restrictions on hunting on the side of the road, which I don't know what that's going to do. Um, state and local leaders have considered many of the options over the years, but there's nothing on paper to keep the hounds in check. Um, so there is a case in Warren County, North Carolina, that is still pending in court after a property owner shot some dogs after they attacked and killed his sheep. Rightfully so. I don't know if these were hunting dogs or what dogs they were, but this kind of goes back to the last topic we talked about. Dogs come, kill this guy's sheep. Um, he shoots the dogs and a hunter who I believe was the owner of said dogs is now charged with assaulting the land owner. So they must've been the guy's hunting dogs. I'm sorry, but if you can't control your dogs and they go onto somebody else's property and start killing their livestock, they deserve to get shot and killed. Plain and simple. And I don't care what anybody says. If you disagree with me, you're wrong. So let's go to our next story. I believe we're going to stay on topic, <laughs> at least for a little while longer here. There is a man who was arrested, and I don't, was this in, I believe, California, Fresno area? Man arrested for shooting a dog with a bow and arrow. Uh, there's really not a lot of information about this one. A man was arrested for shooting a dog with a bow and arrow in Arosi uh, recently in the by the Tulare County Sheriff's Office. They first heard the dog yelping. So somebody heard this dog. I believe it sounds like it might have been a stray dog. Uh, so they shot it and the guy shot it. Somebody heard the dog yelping. Cops come out. They spot 51-year-old Lance Canales running away with a bow and arrow. I don't understand. The dog was found a short time later with the arrow sticking out of its torso. They posted a picture of it. I uh, couldn't tell what kind of dog it was. It looks like he kind of backstrapped the thing. And it looks like a, a toy arrow. It's got a field point on the front of it. Like what kind of assholes just out shooting stray dogs at random? Uh, I don't know. Let's get off the dog topic here. I'm kind of getting depressed. I like dogs. I don't like hearing about them getting shot. So let's move on to something even more depressing, shall we? Pennsylvania man receives jail time for the fatal shooting of a bow hunter. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember this case. Um, this just happened in October uh, of last year. So uh, there was a couple guys from Pennsylvania that were out muzzleloader hunting in Colorado. One of them 
shot and killed a guy who was bow hunting for elk. So muzzleloader season and archery season overlap in Colorado, at least in the location where they were at. Um, and during said seasons, you do not need to wear blaze orange, which personally I think is a huge mistake and most likely would have prevented this person from being shot. Uh, Todd and I may have talked about this on Bow Hunter Die, but I mean, anytime there's a gun season open here in Illinois or really any of the states that I've personally hunted, even if you're bow hunting, you have to wear orange. If you watched any of our recent Bow Hunter Die episodes, you'll see people wearing orange all the time because we have a lot of gun seasons here in Illinois and we have to wear orange. I don't understand why, you know, in a national forest, in an area where there's going to be people coming in from all directions, hunting and chasing these elk, especially when you're calling and stalking and sneaking up on these animals, why there wouldn't be some sort of blaze orange requirement. You know, it may not, you know, have to be much. I know a lot of the states like Wyoming I've hunted, you either need to have a hat or a vest. You don't need to have both. But even an orange, just an orange hat, if this guy would have just had an orange hat on, it probably would have saved his life. So I don't know if there's any conversation uh, about changing that law in Colorado. Personally, I would think it would be a smart thing to change it, especially in lieu of what happened here. Uh, but this pencil, uh, so actually, I'm sorry, this didn't take place last year. This was 2021. My, how the time flies. So he just got his sentence. Um, so this was the fall of 2021 Ronald Morosco, I believe is the guy's name from Pennsylvania, uh, was muzzle loader hunting with uh, one of his friends. They were essentially calling to what they believed was an elk. There was a bow hunter also hunting and calling to what he believed was an elk. Turns out they were calling to each other, moving closer and closer and closer. The muzzle loader hunt hunter saw what he believed was an elk, uh, shot and unfortunately killed this bow hunter. Um, shot him right in the chest. Uh, I think it was about a hundred yards away, something like that. Guy swears on his life that he saw an elk, thought it was an elk. Obviously it wasn't. It was, uh, Gregory Gabrish, I believe is a gentleman's name. 31. He was from Texas. Um, I looked him up. It looked like a really cool dude. Uh, I was married. I don't think he had any kids, but just from what I saw about him, he looked like a pretty, pretty cool dude. Um, kind of a hardcore bow hunter out there in Colorado, you know, living that dream that so many of us want to go live. Um, so essentially this guy get, got convicted. He did get sentenced to 90 days in jail, uh, with an additional 12 month of state supervised probation for what they're calling criminally negligent homicide. Uh, he was fined $500 for a careless hunting, uh, misdemeanor. He has to perform a hundred hours of community service and he may not hunt or fish during his probation. Um, man, it's a tragic story. It's terrible. I mean, it's just like, it's one of those things where it's like hunter education 101, right? Handling firearms 101. What do they teach you? Identify your target, know what's in front of it, know what's behind it, know what you're shooting at. Um, I think I would agree that he should have been convicted in spite of what he says. I get it. He probably, for whatever reason, thought he saw an elk in whatever. Um, but I mean, failure to completely identify your target and killing another person on accident, like... It's a terrible thing. So, um, you know, sad for everybody involved, but I think the punishment in this particular case fits the crime. I also, uh, in spite of what a lot of hunters want, I think anytime you have a gun season and a bow season overlapping, there should be some sort of blaze orange or pink requirement. It doesn't have to be much. Give me a hat, give me a vest, give me something. 
um, because this seems like something that could have been prevented both by that as well as, you know, better behavior uh, on the part of the hunter. So let's move on, shall we? Enough death, enough destruction. Let's talk about something fun. There is, and I'm sure you guys have seen these videos and posts on social media of these, I don't know what I want to call them. They're not really contortionists. They're these women, because I guess I've never seen a guy do it, or maybe I just don't remember. But they're women. They're kind of like gymnasts. They get on these little I don't know, poles that they hold on their hands. So they do a handstand, and then it's like this crazy back bend that they do, and they shoot a bow and arrow with their feet. I'm sure you guys have seen this, right? So there is a woman who is 28 years old, and last year she earned $130,000 traveling the world as a foot archer, is what they're, what they're calling it. So let's see who she is. Orissa Kelly, who is originally from the UK, is 28 years old. She lives in, I believe, Nashville now. Uh, she brought in about $130,000 last year performing as a foot archer. So she lives in Nashville. She performs around the world. She shoots flaming arrows. So she says, and her quote is, I basically shoot flaming arrows with my feet in a handstand, and I perform that for a living. My act involves me doing a variety of acrobatic trick shots, handstands, and contortions. So maybe I could call her a contortionist. Maybe I was right. Uh, she previously lived in the UK, but she moved to the US in 2020 while she was visiting here. Interesting time to visit, right, during COVID. Uh, she's self-employed. She charges anywhere from $2,500 to $5,000 for her shows. So if any of you guys are out there and you're looking to hire somebody for your kid's bar mitzvah or whatever you may be celebrating, you got an extra five grand laying around and you want Orissa Kelly to come perform, she'll do it. She's performed at private events. She's performed on television and during NBA halftime shows. So it talks about like what she does, her history. She was a gymnast. She stretches and works out like six hours a day. Like she's, she's pretty badass. But there's this article which was on CNBC and um, they ask her how much money she makes and then they ask her what she spends her money on. They track her expenses for a month and then they post it, which I thought was interesting. So her spending in January of this year was $2,400. She spent $1,100 on food. What in the hell is she buying for $1,100? I have a family of five people, and I don't think I spend that much money on food in a month. She's one person. What in the hell could she be spending $1,100 on food? $1,100 a month on dining out and groceries. $571 on Uber, Lyft, car payment, and gas. She rents a room from her friend for $300. She's got some insurance, her phone. She bought some books, and that is it. That's literally all she's got. She spent $2,400, so good for her. Apparently, she's saving retirement and whatnot, but it says, spending, on money, spending money on food is a big habit of mine, and it's probably not a great habit, but I have so many nice experiences, either meeting people or hanging out with my friends, that I don't regret it. I wonder if she's the kind of person that like buys for everybody when she goes out. Like that's got to be the only way you could spend 1100 bucks. Like you got to be eating at some pretty fancy restaurants. I bet Todd spends 1100 bucks on food a month. The amount of like Panera and Chipotle that that guy eats, he probably racks up some serious bills at those two places. I wonder what it is. We're going to have to check his, we're going to have to audit the company credit card. Always going to have an appetizer too. So. Always got to get some apps. Yeah, but that's because he bikes like 8,000 miles a day 
And like he probably burns like more calories than most of us consume in a day. That's why he's such a twig. He's the cardio king around here. So there you go. Orissa, congratulations to you. You're crushing it out there. Uh, let's keep going, shall we? We didn't do an episode last week, so we're going to just keep it rolling along because we got stuff to talk about. Uh, we're going to jump over to a meat eater article. I like meat eater in case you guys like haven't figured it out. I like their content. I like what they do. I appreciate it. And when I see something over there that I want to talk about, we're going to talk about it. So this article came out yesterday from Tony Hansen. Tony writes an article called bow hunting gear that you don't need. And when I read this article today or yesterday, I guess I read it. Um, I kind of felt like I was talking to Andre DeQuisto. I remember years ago talking to Andre when he was coming out with his Lobo, which was his bow, but Lobo means wolf. What a clever play on words. And he was covering, coming out with his bow and he had talked at the time about like all of us were using like drop away rests and movable sights and big stabilizers and all this stuff. And he was like, that's all bullshit. You want like the simplest foolproof setup, bomb proof, nothing moving, rock solid, never going to fail type of system. And I remember Andre was the first guy that I ever saw do that. And I've seen a lot more people do it uh, nowadays. And that's kind of what Tony talks about. So he starts with uh, the gear that you don't need. He says bow accessories. And I'm going to take a little bit of exception to some of this stuff. I don't agree with all of it, right? Um, <laughs> he says, I'm using the term accessories here because it may be a bit too crass to call it crap. I don't think it's too crass. Let's just call it crap. That being said, hunters put a whole lot of stuff on our bows. It's simply not necessary. And in my experience, only adds complexity to what should be a simple tool. I used to run a single pin adjustable sight. That's what I run. It's not crap. A longer stabilizer. We all know every inch matters. Along with whatever the latest and greatest new gadget that came along. Ultimately, it took longer to sight in, which I don't think is accurate. I'm going to take exception with that. I don't think it takes any longer to sight in my single pin sight than it does to take in to sight in a three or four pin sight. It takes longer to tune. I don't believe. I mean, every bow takes however long to tune it's going to take, regardless of what accessories you're using. Disagree with that. Increased chance of me mechanical failure. I'll give you that. Anytime you make things that are more complicated and moving, it increases chances of failure. I get it. So he stripped his bow down. He runs a simple but rugged three-pin sight and nothing more. He uses a stabilizer, but it's only a four-incher. Story of my life, Tony. And uh, mainly serves as a place for attaching my wrist sling, which I thought was interesting. We're talking about decrapifying your bow. Get rid of the wrist sling. My buddy Frank is going to kill me for saying that, but we don't need wrist slings. Uh, I don't miss the adjustable sight in the least, and I definitely don't miss having more dongles dangling from my bow. All right, good enough. He talks about how you don't need piles of stands and sticks because you can be mobile now, things like saddles, which I agree with. And then he also talks about ditching the big backpack, which I'm 100% in agreement with. I remember all the shit I used to carry into the woods with me when I was younger. I carried enough crap out there to last me a month. Nowadays, honestly, if I wasn't filming, I probably wouldn't even carry a backpack. So much of it fits in my bino harness. I'd probably have like a little teeny fanny pack just to carry my snacks. And that's about it. So I'm with Tony. I think he did a nice job on this article. I agree. Stop carrying so much crap into the woods with you. So this one gets me fired up. So um, <clears throat> Youngstown, Ohio. 
It's a nice town. I've been there. Got some relatives out there. They have a law director, which I didn't even know was a position anywhere, um, who basically said at a recent city council meeting that despite what the Mill Creek Metro Parks commissioners have decided, there will be no killing of deer in the section of the park that is within city limits. So essentially they have a, a park out there that is governed or controlled by the park uh, district or Metro Park Commission. Naturally, like what happens in a lot of these parks, they got a massive deer problem. There's freaking deer everywhere. They need to kill some of them. They've decided they want to do some hunting in their park. And now these dicks at the city council are saying that they're not allowed to do it. Where I take exception to this is I talked to both a lawyer and a DNR officer here in Illinois because I've heard multiple reports of different villages or cities or municipalities, whatever you want, passing laws or rules or regulations, whatever they're considered, saying that you cannot hunt within city limits. And I have been told both by DNR as well as by an attorney that they are not allowed to do that. They cannot tell you that you cannot hunt within city limits because hunting seasons are something that is left to the state to govern when and where and how you can hunt, right? It is not up to the individual municipality. Now that's just Illinois. Maybe Ohio is different. But I know that here in Illinois, if a city passes an ordinance or even a neighborhood, you see this a lot with like private neighborhoods that say like, there's no hunting in our neighborhood. You could own a five acre lot, bunch of woods in your backyard and your, your HOA or whatever could tell you that you can't hunt in there. Everything that I've been told is that if you were to do that and bring it to court, it would not hold up because it is not within their authority to tell you what you can and cannot do when it comes to hunting. Now, the caveat to this whole thing is that these cities and municipalities can pass alternate legislation, which will effectively prevent you from hunting. So a lot of them pass legislation that you cannot shoot a firearm in city limits or that you cannot shoot a projectile, which would include a bullet, an arrow, a spear, a BB gun, a pellet gun, things like that. So they get around it in different ways. But if they do pass something that just simply says you cannot hunt, at least from what I've been told, and I would encourage everybody to confirm this with your lawyer or DNR or whatever, is that they cannot do that except for at the state level. So screw these guys for trying to poo-poo something that the Parks Commissioner said that we need. The Metro Park Executive Director Aaron Young, A.A. Ron Young, had this to say about the city's claim. I will have to defer comment until we have had the opportunity to review the issue with legal counsel. Good for him. He's saying, we're going to talk to our lawyers and then I'll tell you because I'm not sure that they can do this. And I agree. So to anybody out there that's ever been stopped from hunting, based on anything other than state law that says you cannot hunt, I would encourage you to challenge it. Fight the man. Fight back. Um, let's keep going. This is going to be a continuation of what we talked about last time. Wyoming, these guys are in a bad spot, dude. It is almost the end of April, and there is still massive winter kills happening, cold temperatures, snowpack. Uh, so Wyoming is cutting uh, more than 10,000 antelope tags for this year. So I think it's like a quarter or something like that. Um, last year they offered 41,000 antelope tags. This year will be about 30,000. 
So yeah, that's like a quarter, like 25% of the antelope tags are getting cut. I am supposed to be going on an antelope hunt in Wyoming uh, this year. I talked to Dustin the other day and he's, he's very concerned uh, to say the least about their antelope population. So I don't know if our hunt's going to get canceled uh, or if it's just going to be really, really difficult uh, to try to find one this year. So I guess um, we're going to see. Dustin said he's going to see what happens this summer and this spring and start making some decisions. But I feel bad for the people of Wyoming. It brings in a ton of business outfitters, all sorts of different stuff. Uh, let's do our last one for today. Feral cat hunting contest for kids in New Zealand is scrapped after a backlash. What a bummer. So apparently they were trying to do some sort of fundraiser and some sort of fun competition to see how many cats these kids could kill. Children 14 and under were competing to kill the most feral cats. It was open to both kids and adults, uh, and they're aiming to manage the invasive species. I believe I read in this article there's something like 2.5 million feral cats in New Zealand. They kill like 10 million birds. They're responsible for the extinction of several species of birds uh, historically. So they're trying to figure out a way to kill these damn things. And of course, what happened? All the cat huggers in this case came out and said, oh my God, oh my God, you can't kill these cats. Like what if they happen to kill somebody's pet? Well, guess what? Your pet shouldn't be out doing whatever it's doing. Keep the goddamn thing in the house and it's not going to get shot. But it appears that New Zealand is suffering from the same, I don't know, should we call this woke? Is this woke? I don't know. Is it woke? I feel like everybody says woke, 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 everything's woke. But they're suffering from the same idiocy and lunacy that we're suffering from here in the United States as well, which is pressure from a bunch of bunny-hugging morons that don't know what they're talking about with no real solution uh, to manage this problem. Of course, they say you should trap them, neuter them, and then turn them free. Interestingly enough, I don't see any of them all the people with the solutions, we're looking for you. We don't see your traps. We don't see you out there with your, your little snippers, snipping your, your little cats out there. You're doing nothing. You're, you're coming up with a solution that you're expecting other people to do. In the meantime, you're poo-pooing solutions that people are actually out doing. So I don't think it's going to stop them from killing these cats. It's just going to stop them from uh, putting it in their little fundraiser. I just think it was even better that it was like for kids. It's like a contest for kids. Like I imagine grabbing my kids like, come on, kids, we're going to go kill some cats, which I don't like cats anyways. I don't know. Allegedly, I don't even know what I can admit to on, on camera. Brandon's shaking his head. If I just say allegedly, I think you're good, right? I mean, allegedly, some cats have been killed a time or two, and I allegedly was around during when it happened. I, that's all I can say, and I didn't feel bad about it at all. So anyways, that's it. New Zealand, get your head out of your butt and let, let the kids go out. Get them off the screens. Get them off of playing Fortnite and whatever they're doing and go out kill you some cats. That's it for this week's episode of The Pinch Point. We talked a lot about like killing domesticated animals and people. I don't know. It's kind of depressing to a certain degree, but at least we had the hot chick with shooting the flaming arrows and she's making a killing doing it. So that is our positive takeaway story for this week. Hire Orissa to come to your party. If anybody wants to hire her to come to like our bowhunting.com get together this summer where we get our pro staff and they're just like a good Samaritan out there. It's like, you know what? Those guys at bowhunting.com Bowhunter Die, Pinch Point, like they're, they're a bunch of good dudes. They deserve something nice. 
just send Arissa to Coon Creek Hunt Club on June 10th for our meeting and we'll see what she's got. We'll have a competition. We'll see if us men standing vertically with our arms can outshoot her with her feet. It'll be a challenge. That's all I got for this week, guys. Hopefully we're back next week once more with a fine episode of The Pinch Point. Thank you all for listening and watching. Make sure you subscribe, like, comment, all that crap I'm supposed to say at the end. Share this with your friends. It really helps us. It helps me. It helps the world when people can participate in The Pinch Point. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week.